I want to ask you to stand to your feet this morning as we look to our scripture text today. And it's from 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. What does it say here? That we are a chosen people. In some versions it says a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Father, we come to you today. We thank you again for the opportunity to uh, spread the gospel, this message to these people. Lord, uh, the word is already inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I just pray, Lord, that our spiritual eyes and ears will be open to receive what you have for us today from your word. And we ask it all in your precious name, Lord. Amen. You may be seated this morning. A chosen generation, a royal priesthood, called out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what we are as Christians today. And I'm going to be speaking a few sermons on the theme of turning the tide in our day. Turning the tide in our day. The sermon today is, who are we in relation to our world? Who are we in relation to our world? This is a very important question to be answered. I think most of us know it, but it's good to remind ourselves of who we are in this world as believers. Because that will then direct us to our purposes in the Lord. We have a little sign in the hallway of our church back there that says... What causes evil to prosper is when good men and women do nothing. You know, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 5, I think we have it on the wall this morning. Listen to these words by the ancient prophet. What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet, and sweet is bitter. We're living in a time today when it appears that so many of our people in our world are calling what is good bad, and what was used to be bad is now good. There's a total reversible of things happening in our nation today. And we're witnessing it happening right before our eyes today, really. We're, there's so much that we're observing in our world today and I think as believers, we have to be greatly troubled and or burdened by what we're experiencing because we realize that the enemy of our soul, who is Satan, the Bible says, he comes to rob, to steal, and to destroy. And he's at this point in time doing a very good job of it in the life of so many people. Even among Christians in our own families, the enemy is hard at work like Cliff was talking about, the praying for our own family needs. And so, I really believe, we know the hope is in Jesus, but Jesus has a body, the ecclesia, the called out ones, is, that's the church. So I really believe in my heart that the church holds the answer, and it will be the vehicle that God intends to use 
to turn the tide in our country back to where it belongs. I cannot say that enough because I know within my heart and those of you that are believers today, we're really burdened by what's being taught in our schools, what's happening to our children, all the unrest and where violence is escalating. We really need to be concerned today as believers and to begin to realize we haven't just been saved for our own benefit, but we have been saved, been called out to bless and make a difference in our world. So it's up to us today. If I could just leave you that, because it's really a burden that I think we all have in our hearts. What can we do? And so I think this morning when we're talking about who we are in relation to our world, What's that show we see on TV that says, who are you? Anybody know? CIS. CSI. Who are you? Who are we in relation to our world? Are we here to make a difference? Is there something that we're supposed to be doing? Do we recognize who we are and our purpose? And that's really the very gist of what I'm trying to leave with you this morning. The first step that we need to take a look at is who we are as God's people in relation to our world. And so we're going to talk on that subject this morning, and I just pray that it blesses you. It certainly blessed me. And we have to move to our first thought. We need to know our identity, and there's another portion, and God-given authority as the body of Christ. We are not powerless. We are not impotent. There's something that can happen in behalf of turning the tide dispelling darkness, lying resident within believers. But we've got to know that. And sometimes I think we kind of forget. And perhaps we kind of get duped by the devil seeming to be overwhelming. And we begin to wonder, is there any use? Can we even try? Because we become a little dispirited. That's when we need to recognize and reflect and remember who we are as God's people. A chosen generation, a royal priesthood called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who are we? I remember reading about Martin Luther King. And it said when he began, first of all, to speak in behalf of civil rights and he began to speak publicly. It said that before he spoke, he had to get quiet and speak. Speak to the spirit of the slave that he felt within him. To give him the boldness. He had to think of who I really am. Away with slavery. I'm a free man. But he had to speak to himself. And I think sometimes there's a message too for the body of Christ. That ever so often when we see things going topsy-turvy. We need to begin to remember as a church and as a body of believers. Who am I anyway? And and speak against those spirits that discourage or dissuade our efforts to try to make a difference for the Lord. And so what does it say? We're a chosen generation. We are God's chosen. We are the new covenant Israel. We're the Israel of the new covenant, the church. Israel, unfortunately, failed in their mission for the most part. They were intended to be God's people to declare his goodness. God did so many miracles in their behalf, but as often, they backslid and they lost their power and eventually almost lost their whole identity as a people if you study the Old Testament. And now Christ comes on the day of Pentecost with power 
establishes the church. We stand on those promises that we are the church, a chosen generation. We are no longer either enslaved to sin. God has chosen us. And like we were hearing early in the sermon, in the service this morning, no matter our failures, you know, I thought about it. Most of us have failed somewhere. We all do. We're all sinners. But you know what gives me great comfort? God knew we would fail, but he still called us. Sometimes people would like to dispense of us. God knew when we were going to slip on that banana peel, whatever it was. And he still called you and I. We are still his chosen people who the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, he commended his love towards us. The love and the grace of our God. A royal priesthood. Believer priests. How does that happen when we compare it with the Old Testament? We bring a message of deliverance and the ability for the repentance of sin made possible by the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross of Calvary. We can preach a message of deliverance over sin and bondage. A message of deliverance that our world needs to feel. And if we exercise that priesthood the way we should in full strength, we can have dominion power over whatever is going wrong in our world today. Do you know what intercessory prayer does? When it's working at full strength, it reverses wrong. Because the Bible says that the weapons of the Spirit are not carnal. We're, battering, we're battling in a spiritual battle today in our country. It is spiritual. We might put names and faces, but it really is the force of the evil one who's trying to seek, kill, and destroy in our country and our world. It is a spiritual thing. And we can reverse that through confessing the word of God and through the power of prayer. We can make a difference as God's children. The weapons of the spirit are not carnal, but they're spiritual and mighty to pulling down strongholds and anything that exalts itself above the name of our Lord. A royal priesthood. So we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And that's why when we pray the Lord's Prayer, that portion that says, when I'm in the midst of sickness, when I'm in the midst of problems, and an enemy is coming my way or our way, I can pray as a believer priest, a chosen person, Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right here on earth as it is in heaven. Establish your rule in this chaotic condition. We can do that. We pray that. Thy king. I know we will not have full kingdom power like we'll have at the end, but right now, when we pray in faith, standing on the promises of God and his word, and knowing who we are and authority, we can say, Lord, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. I've learned that throughout the years of my life because I faced some pretty severe trials myself when the enemy was really at work. And I've had to say, Lord, I'm praying for your kingdom power to come down now. I can't do a thing. I can't figure this out. I can't fix it, but I know you can. Your kingdom come. Your will be done right now as it is in heaven. A bit of heaven touching earth when God's people pray. So we have to know our authority. And the most beautiful part of it, why we can proclaim the truth, because it says we've been called out of darkness. We were not always this way. 
We were not always the people of God. But he saved us when we came to him and repented of our sins and invited us into our heart. And we were, some of us, delivered from very dark past. I wasn't because I was raised in a pastor's house. But there are people here that have testimonies that make the hair on your neck stand if you knew what they were like before, before Jesus touched them. Praise God. Called out of darkness into his marvelous light. I think about the Apostle Paul. What did he do before he came to know the Lord? Before he saw that light shining from heaven. He had many Christians killed because he didn't know better. God called him out and made him a mighty man of God. And so we have to first know who we are and our authority. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, tap and says, I'm somebody in Jesus. Say it. Yeah, you are somebody. Who are you? You are somebody in Jesus. You're indwelled by his spirit. Amen. I'm somebody. Knowing our identity and authority will then direct us, hopefully, to our specific purpose. When we know who we are and what we have, it should point us to our specific purpose as individual believers. And here's when we begin to take territory from the enemy, when we recognize who we are and our authority. Yes. You all know the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. It's on the wall up there. We'll read it to you today. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given all authority in heaven and on earth. What other authority is there? <laughs> it's, that's it. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always. We're authorized by the Lord to go, who we are, what we have, our great co-mission, working in hand with the Lord, his people. God has chosen his church to be the vehicle by which the light of the gospel is to be at its yes. He's told us to make disciples, and that's what we really need in the churches today, real disciples. I was taught early on in my life, a simple definition of a disciple get this, is a convinced learner. There's a lot of people, perhaps even going to church, that are not convinced. If you're not convinced that you know that you know, you're not going to do anything effective for the gospel. It's going to be a very weak approach. But when you're convinced that it's right, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and you are convinced of it, and nobody can shake that, that's when it will direct you to follow your purpose and you will have authority, you'll have boldness, you'll have courage, and you'll have power because you're convinced. It's an awful thing. I had a brother-in-law years ago that tried to go into sales and he didn't believe in the product and he couldn't sell nothing. <laughs> and I think sometimes our weaknesses are really, our, our witnessing efforts are somewhat weak because a lot of us are not really thoroughly convinced we got to know that we know that we know. I believe it was in as a church today, we got to get a little bit more militant in our efforts. Well, look what the enemy's doing. They're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. What do we have to be ashamed of? We have the way, the truth, and the life in Jesus. So let's pursue it. Amen. In Matthew 5, 16, in the New King James Version, it says that we are to be the salt and the light of the world. 
to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. The world needs to see Jesus in his church. It's the truth, church. We have to be genuine. We have to be authentic followers of Jesus because then that's where the power lies. If we don't have that genuineness and authenticity, people will begin to sense it in us too, but that we're not really real. We have to be real about the things of God so that we can be effective as salt and light. And what did Jesus say to the church? I hate to even read it when he says that if we lose our clout, our savor, what did Jesus said? We'll be good for nothing except to be stepped on. Is the world stomping on the church today? That's not Jesus' fault. Maybe we've lost part of us that savor, that power, that genuineness, the realness of God's presence in our life. And that's why we've lost our effectiveness so often. Because when I look around the world today and I see how the enemy in some ways seems to be winning in so many places and and we seem to be struggling so much. When I went to college many, many years ago, in the textbook that it said in the classroom that the church used to be, this was years ago, an agent of social control. It no longer is. In the birthing of our nation, people talked about God, the goodness of God. We had the Ten Commandments. We had prayer in our school. We had Bible studies in the school. We have taken that away, and we've seen the downward spiral in our society since then. Right. We're living in a world today that everything is relative, there's no absolute truth. Everything is come and go, whatever you want. Israel, in those days, there was no king, and everyone did what was right in his or her minds. We're seeing that today. We need to help stem the tide. But it's got to come from a people that are separated unto God, or we're going to keep losing our battle. And when we talk about that today, there's two things. That we be believers. No, we're not perfect. The Bible says the righteous man falls seven times. We'll pick him up. We get up again. Like we heard this morning, we get up again. Like that rubber ball that keeps bouncing back to God. Back to you. We have to be a people, if we're going to impact our world, who follow a biblical worldview and lifestyle. That's where the rubber meets the road. We have a brother who used to go to our church that was involved for decades in ministry. Training ministries. I'm not going to name the denomination, but it's an evangelical, charismatic one. And he said, in recent years, with the new trainees that were coming in to be trained to be missions workers, they felt that something was missing in these candidates. They had to get to the point where on their questionnaires they had to put down, do you believe in a biblical worldview and adhere to a biblical lifestyle? He says, Pastor Sam, we never had to do that 30, 40 years ago. But we've got people today that really say they're Christians but do not hold to the Bible as their standard for life. I can see where the power would be lost. Yes. If these are the people that we're training to be ministers 
And some of them don't believe the biblical worldview and the lifestyle of believers. That loses our power to turn the tide in your family. Because it starts there. People need to see Jesus in you. I quote an old hymn from the 30s and 40s. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. Are we presenting a real, the real Jesus or a caricature of Jesus? Where we're either loosey-goosey and God's grace or strict and self-righteous and condemning. Are we presenting Jesus with our own lives? You know, Charles Stanley had a quote. And I want to put it on the wall this morning if we have it up there. On how the church should look to the world. And Brother Stanley says, the recognizable presence of a growing, growing vibrant, vibrant Christ-centered body of believers that influence our society in a powerful way. How? Through its love for the Father and compassion for its fellow citizens. Love for the Father and compassion, not judgmentalism, or we're better than you are mentality, but compassion for those around us. Love always wins. It's the greatest gift. It's the greatest gift. The recognizable presence of people that love God and have compassion for their fellow citizens. Can we have that today? That's how, that doesn't take a lot to be effective for Jesus. If we would just do that, we would rock the world. If they saw that in us. And that's where Pastor Jack Hayford said many, many years ago that if the church would just be believers for five minutes, <laughs> we'd probably convert the whole world. That's the inherent power. That somewhere we're missing it. And we're looking for miracles to do it and this to do that and that when all we have to do is love God and love people. The most powerful tool and gift that there is. Yes, it is. Praise the Lord. Knowing our identity and our authority is crucial, but what will move us to action? That's always the key. And I already went that way. We need God's agape love flowing through us. In fact, Jesus honed it in a little bit like a laser. How will the world know we're his disciples? How we love one another in the body of Christ. It's all about love. It's powerful. God's agape love. We had a sermon recently on the power of the Holy Spirit. And the, the reference was made to the fruits of the Spirit, love. We cannot conjure this. We cannot conjure up a, a solution for racial hatred and for greed and for violence. We can't do it in our own strength. <clears throat> we need a supernatural presence of the Holy Spirit and God within our lives for us to see a life change. To love the Lord God with all our heart and souls and to love 
and have compassion for our fellow citizens. What did Jesus do when he saw the multitudes that were lost and in sin? His heart was moved with compassion. Compassion means to suffer with. He identified it and it made him sad and it broke his heart to see people living below the lives he intended them to have because of his love. It was his love. His father sent him to die for you and I, a fallen race. While we were yet sinners, he commended his love toward us. And he said, the greatest commandment I already said already was to love him and to love our fellow citizens with that agape love. And so this morning, as we think about these things today, pray that the Lord would just envelop us with his love for people and compassion. You know, I don't know about you, but I've often told a couple of people that I felt very badly for Christians who, through their stubbornness or their sin, suffered their whole lives because of sin, maybe a sin of unforgiveness and bitterness. I've seen it in Christians too that haven't let it go. And I've also seen how it destroys their lives. And some of it carry it for decades. I don't understand it. It just destroys them. And so one time one person said, why do you care so much? That was their choice. And I understand that logic too. But the, way, the reason I care that much is, once again, it breaks my heart to see people destroying themselves. It didn't have to be that way. Not that Pastor Sam cares that much, I'm not God, but Jesus' heart breaks when he sees people bound by sin in their lives, destroying themselves and destroying their families. It breaks the heart of God. And so instead of judging and hurting those people, he's moved by compassion. That's what I talk about, the love of God. That we even love the fallen. And we want something better for them because it doesn't have to be this way. You know, it's one thing in life to be cheated. Something takes somebody from, somebody takes something from you. Or you are passed over for a promotion that you probably should have gotten. But the worst thing in life, it's when you cheat your own self. When you do things that destroy your own life. That's even more painful because it didn't have to be. And so this morning when we talk about turning the tide, we need to recognize who we are. We need to recognize our authority, when we see that and we're praying on it, then it will direct us to our purpose. We'll realize, I'm important today. Perhaps the church is needed today more than any time in the history of this nation. I don't know. We've been through some tough times as Americans, but things are really looking bleak. And unless there's a turning of the tide, who knows what's coming next? I'm not kidding you. People now are looking to violence as an answer. There are advocates that are saying, if you want to bust some windows, set fire to some cars, that's okay to get the message through. That is not okay. And our hearts should be moved by that. <clears throat> but with all those things that we're saying, <clears throat> we'll begin to turn the tide when we know who we are 
we know our authority, we're appointed to our mission, and most of all, that we love people and have compassion for them. <clears throat> Driven by God's love for the lost will propel us to move into action. We've got to begin to be angry with the death and destruction, even in our own families. Doesn't it upset you when you see what the devil is doing? Don't you tick you off in the spirit? It angers you. that There is a place for spiritual indignation when we need to rise up and do something to pray, to believe, to encourage. And the biggest thing, we know that the answer is in Christ Jesus. Andre Krauss used to sing, and I believe, Jesus is the answer for the world today. And if I knew all the words I'd do, but I'd ruin it, I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> Jesus is the answer for the world today. He is, because he is the way, the truth, and the life.